For those of you who haven't met, my name is Matt Hardy. I'm one of the elders up at Pinita, and it's a great joy for me to be down here with you guys again uh, and preach God's word. I think it's been a couple months since I've made my way down. I'm privileged to be here. I'm excited to be here, even if it's hot out there. It's cool in here, and I get to see you guys. I hope you've benefited uh, this summer from seeing some different faces from around uh, Crosspoint hearing some uh, different voices in the pulpit. I hope you've um, got to meet some people who you haven't had a chance to meet before and get to see uh, just part of the larger cross-point picture that, that goes on around uh, Central Florida here. Um, in that vein, I'd also welcome you guys to visit. Visit some of the other cross-points. There's always an open invitation uh, to go see one of the other congregations to sit in and See what that's like. Even uh, even the ones over in Orlando are open doors and uh, welcoming faces over there too. So I'd extend that offer to everyone here. Um, today we're going to talk about wrath. Uh, this is the uh, eighth week of the series and the final folly that we're going to talk about. The final sin. Um, so when I when I say wrath, what do you guys think of? There's something in your mind when you think of wrath. I think. If you're a Star Trek fan, maybe the Wrath of Khan, right? Uh, but wrath, what do, we, what do we think of? Um, I think we think of something kind of like anger, right? Or something kind of violent or something revenge, revengeful. But is wrath anger? Is, are they the same thing? And I say, I say they're not. For our purposes today, we're going to separate them. Anger is this quick almost immediate visceral response to a situation, right? Anger can surprise even us, right? It feels like sometimes anger happens to us, right? Someone made us angry. Something happened and we became angry. Um, Anger is a piece of wrath that builds builds up into wrath. So what is wrath and what are we building to with, with our anger? Uh, there's a lot of definitions. Um, most of them involve anger that evolves into some kind of an action, right? Um, the one I found that I liked that made the most sense for what we're talking about today was from a poet named Dorothy Sayers. And she said this, as we talk about wrath, sorry. Wrath is the love of justice perverted to revenge and spite. So that's the, the love of justice perverted to revenge and spite. That's what wrath looks like for us for the most part. So I wanted to start uh, in Proverbs where we've been starting all of our sermons on this series. But we're going to be, like most of the sermons this series, we're going to be all over the Bible. So keep a Bible in front of you if you've got one handy. Um, Turn those pages. If you've got pages, it'll help keep it cool in here. Turn with me to Proverbs 29. 8 through 11. And we could stand as we read God's word. It's Proverbs 29, 8 through 11. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. It's the word of God. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. 
Father, thank you for calling us this morning, calling us to meet, providing a place to meet. Lord, that you've provided means of not just material, but spiritual means, Lord, to connect with each other and to connect with you. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us this morning, help us um, worship you well, help us lean in and listen, help us uh, hear what you'd have us hear from your word today, Lord. Remove the scales from our eyes that we could see what you'd have us see. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that hearts would be changed and um, through only the work that you can do. Lord, I pray that as we talk about sin, uh, focus on sin again uh, today, Lord, that you would help us uh, find our joy, Lord, that we would remember what it is we're fighting for is our joy and that you've provided it uh, through Christ. Lord, I pray for uh, the pastors uh, the cross point around the different congregations in different uh, places this morning, Lord, that you would um, bless them, that you would help them preach your word faithfully, diligently, uh, Lord, and that um, your name would be lifted high, not just in Brevard, but throughout the world today, Lord. We think of our partners in uh, Mongolia, our partners in South Africa and Virginia, around the campuses, uh, college campuses in Florida, Lord, that um, people we get to connect with and invest in, Lord, and that you would continue to multiply uh, the reach of your gospel throughout the world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So since we're wrapping up, I wanted to take a second and look back at where we started. We started in Proverbs 9. We started talking about uh, the house of Lady Folly and the house of Lady Wisdom, right? And that's really what we've been talking about every week as we've looked at these different follies, these different sins. Uh, We've been talking about the choice between folly and wisdom. So that's the question. Will you partake in wisdom or will you partake in folly? We saw in, in Proverbs 9 that the house of wisdom has meat and wine, right? And promised a long life. Sounds good. Meat and wine and a long life. If we look at the way of folly, Lady Folly, we see she's loud and seductive, but offers stolen water and bread and death. So it shouldn't seem like a tough question, right? It shouldn't seem like a question we have to keep coming back to. Should we choose, should we choose stolen water and death, or should we choose meat and wine and life? Right? It, on the surface, it seems like an easy enough choice, but, but we forget We forget that Lady Folly is is seductive, right? She allures us with her charms and sin calls us in. And the death is hidden in the back, right? It's not until we enter the house of Lady Folly that we see that the dead are there. And so each week we forget, right? We forget just like uh, it said in in the song we just sang together. Lord, satisfy us in the morning because we forget. We forget again. So uh, I think this series has been useful and, and, and practicing how do we remember, right? What is it that we are to see that we should fight for joy and, and these patterns of sin? So far, we've discussed six distinct ways in which our hearts lead us into that loud and seductive house of folly. We've looked at lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, envy, and pride, right? Each of these sins are unique in their own right, and all of them have some overlap as well. We see in lust and greed and envy 
a proclamation what the Lord has provided isn't enough. Right? We want more. It's insufficient. We see gluttony and sloth, a worship of what was created instead of the creator. And pride, we really see the root of sin, right? We see, we see a desire that we should be God. It's that first temptation, the first temptation in the garden. What did, what did Satan say to Adam and Eve? Eat of this and you will be like God. And since then, that's been the trick ever since. We've desired to be God. We desire to have control. We desire to have autonomy. And Satan still uses that same old trick that worked thousands of years ago because it still works on us today. So there's a danger, though, in sitting under these sermons, uh, even listening intently. There's a few ways that Lady Folly can be loud and seductive, even as, as we sit here and we listen week after week to the ways uh, that, that we can sin. We can, there's a few ways we can respond in our hearts as we sit and listen. We can say, number one, man, this is a great sermon for blank to hear. <laughs> Coworker, friend, child, spouse. If Steve was here, he could hear that one about envy, and then he would finally get his heart right. right? We make it about somebody else. We could put up our defenses. Right? We can get our inner defense attorney going. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm lazy, but they don't know about this or that, or I, I'm, you know, I'm greed, but greed is good. And I'm using my money to help other people. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways we can d- defend. And the other thing we can do is we can sit under a list of sin and we can say, whoa, woe is me. You know, I just sit in condemnation and just sit with, with guilt and just sit with, with a crushing weight of sin on us. And, and none of those things are, are what we're invited to. None of those things are what, uh, we're invited to be here today. The title of the series isn't look at these sins and be crushed. <laughs> it isn't let's make excuses for each other. It's fight for joy, right? And that's what we're invited to do. We're, in, we're, we're here to fight for joy. Walking in victory over the patterns of sin is what we're fighting for. It's not moral excellence, right? It's not better behavior, though better behavior is a result, but that is not the goal. It's not, you know... Let's get real good at, at confronting each other on sin. But confronting each other on sin is good and it's important. It's fighting for joy. How do we fight for joy? How do we look at these sins, not be crushed, and find the joy? Find the joy that's been provided for us in Christ. So as we lean in again, as we look at a specific sin today of wrath, I just keep that, keep that on, on the surface there, that we're fighting for joy. Um. So as I said, the wrath we're talking about is a love of justice perverted to revenge and spite. God loves justice. The Bible is full of it. It's full of his love of justice. It's full of calling out for justice. I'm going to flip through some verses here quickly. Um, they'll be in the notes afterwards too. Uh, Isaiah 61.8 For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people Make an everlasting covenant with them. Zechariah 7 9. This is what the Lord Almighty said Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Leviticus 19 15. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Psalms 33 5. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Right, there's just. There's a hundred more verses like that if we look through all of Scripture. God is a God of justice. He is a God who loves justice, and He is just. 
The fact that God is just and loves justice is one of the great hopes expressed over and over again in the Psalms. Overflowing with a call to justice. If you have some time later, uh, dive into Psalm 109. It's just a beautiful psalm uh, full of David calling out for, for God and his justice. And there's no doubt that God is a God of justice and a God that loves justice. We also know that God is a God of wrath. Right? His wrath, however, is not sinful. It's not perverted the same way that we pervert wrath. It comes from a love of justice, but it comes from all his other attributes as well. It's a pure love. If we look at God's wrath, we see the first time the word wrath is used in scriptures in Exodus 22. Exodus 22, 22 through 24. This is God speaking to his people. And he says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Pretty extreme, right? Nahum 1 verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. His, the Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Right? Exodus isn't the first time we see the wrath of God, though. It's the first time we hear it called the wrath. In Genesis 2.17, there's a proclamation of wrath on the penalty of sin. It says, in that day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. So it's declared here immediately, the penalty for sin, for breaking God's justice, is death. Genesis 3, we see that penalty enacted. We see Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, kicked out of paradise. Angels with flaming swords guarding the way, keeping them from coming back. Quickly in Genesis 6 through 9, we see the flood. Right? We see almost every living person wiped out off the face of the earth in God's wrath. Genesis 19, we see cities destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Cities that had gone run amok with sin, that just became the love of sin, became what they were about. And God had had enough, and he destroyed those cities. In Exodus, we see the desolation and death, destruction of the Egyptians. We think about the plagues sometime, and I don't think we think about how severe that wrath was that was poured out on Egypt. Livestock, water, crops, health, safety, security, all stripped away. And then all their firstborn children killed, right? Leviticus, we see Nadab and Abihu, don't follow God's direct order, offer strange fire, and immediately are struck down. Right? Scripture is shockingly full at times of the display of God's wrath, his love of justice, and his hatred of sin. I think um, sermons more and more these days are steering away from the wrath of God and focusing more on the, on the love of God. And I think that's a danger that we, we fall into, that we can forget God's wrath, that we can forget God's holiness and his hatred of sin and what that means. But we can't, we can't split God up like that. We can't say God is loving sometimes and God is wrathful sometimes and God is forgiving sometimes. So God is all his attributes at all the time. And that's hard for us to understand because we aren't that way often. Often we are this way or that way or we're swayed this way or that way. But the Lord is all those things at once. In Exodus 34, 6, we have an opportunity to see God describe himself, which is a pretty, pretty neat opportunity. He's, he's talking to Moses 
Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Right? Beautiful. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses' response was he quickly bowed his head to the ground and worshipped. Right? God is love and God is long-suffering and God is patient and God is kind and God is wrathful. Right? God cares about sin. He cares about um, his holiness. He's not perverted his love of justice to revenge and sprite. He has tempered his wrath with love. He's tempered his wrath with mercy and grace, with a slowness to anger, with a steadfast love and faithfulness. His wrath is without sin. What about our wrath, right? Think about our wrath. I think about my wrath. It's often said the preacher is the first one who gets to hear the sermon. And this has been a hard sermon for me to, to hear over the last couple of weeks. Um, I've, been, I've been convicted on, on more than one occasion. As I think about my wrath, my wrath, more often than not, does not sound like God's wrath. More often than not, it's not tempered with love and patience and long-suffering. When you get cut off in traffic or worse, get into an accident, would people say your wrath is full of mercy and grace and a slowness to anger? When you have a blowout fight with your spouse, would an observer comment on your steadfast love and faithfulness? Right? Our wrath is different than God's wrath most of the time. The issue with our wrath, the issue with our wrath is us. Right? We're the problem. One of my favorite musicians, his name is Timothy Brendel, and his song is called I'm the Problem. He <laughs> says, I'm just going to read a couple, a couple lines. It says, you, you see the primary issue, your primary problem isn't that there are people, isn't, there, isn't that there are advertisements, isn't that there are systems out there that are making you sin. No, the problem is you. Instead of making excuses and blaming when you sin, face it, the truth is, I'm the problem. Right? The problem with our wrath is us. How easy is it to sin with wrath and anger and to blame everyone else around us? It feels like I said, like anger happens to us. Like it's not something we even produce. It's something that someone forces on us. We do love justice though, right? We love justice. Our hearts cry out for justice, right? Our TVs are full of justice, right? We watch courtroom TV all the time. If you're over 40, I can ask you where you were when they read the OJ verdict, and you probably have some idea where you were when OJ was uh, pronounced. We know the names Casey Anthony, George Zimmerman, Derek Chauvin, right? All because they stood in front of a judge and the nation watched. Right? We watched those. We know those names. We have. When I grew up, I was watching Judge Wapner with my grandma, People's Court, right? We'd see him make pronouncements over who had to pay $400 for a lawnmower. We love justice. Now it's Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown and Judge Matthias, and there was more and more and more when I looked it up. <laughs> we have law and order, law and order criminal intent, law and order SVU, law and order something else, right? There's a million of them. Cops, live PD, all these shows where we get to watch 
justice happen and and we love it. There's something about it that 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 we crave justice. We crave seeing people punished for for what they do wrong. And that's part of the problem is that when we take our wrath, when we take our justice, it becomes who's done wrong to us, right? Then I get to be judge. I get to be the jury. I get to be the police. I get to be the executioner of my wrath when I am wronged, right? In my brand of justice, I'm the standard for those that have wronged me, my family, my friends, and they need to pay. They've done wrong and they need to pay, right? So it's hard. It's so hard when when the wrong has been done to us and we become the standard, it, it becomes very, very difficult to enact wrath justly, right? Because we're in the middle of it and our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are confused. Our hearts are are seeking something that doesn't belong to them. But it is possible. It is possible that we can have wrath and not sin. It is possible to be angry and do not sin. Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin, Right? which can lead to a wrath that does not sin. We see Jesus angry and taking action in in Matthew 21, right? He comes into the courtyard. People have made his father's temple into a house of, you know, into a flea market. And so he starts flipping tables and chasing people around with a whip, right? He is exacting wrath, but he's not exacting wrath because they did something to Jesus Christ, the man, he's enacting wrath because of God's standard, because of God's glory. He's protecting the glory of God, not just himself. So when our wrath, when our anger becomes not focused on ourself, when it becomes focused on the standard of God's standard, it is possible that we can, we can seek justice, we can love justice, and we cannot sin. Just a quick example. Um, Tracy and I have lived with our kids in uh, Cocoa for the last, um, well, we just recently moved in the last month, but we were there for about eight years or so. And um, there was, this was a couple years ago or a year and a half ago, I guess, and we had heard there was going to be a march from um, Rockledge up to Cocoa. And a lot of the stuff was going on at the time, still is, with racial reconciliation and all kinds of issues going on with policing and and those things are still going on. And we told um, our kids that we were going to go. And they weren't too excited about it. We thought they should go, but we weren't going to force them. And they were kind of confused as to why we wanted to go. And uh, we, we shared with them, we talked with them, how there's people of color who are not being treated the same, who are not being treated as the image bearers of God. Right? They're not being counted equal. And that this was something that we could do. And it's something we wanted to do. So, so we did march, and we the kids came with us, and it was it was nice. There was a, a bunch of people, and everything was peaceable. And uh, we're walking down this down from Fisk Boulevard down um, Rockledge into Cocoa. It's a couple miles, and people had signs, and people were chanting. And um, you know, I was having some time reflecting as we were walking. It's pretty slow pace, and someone chanted the the, the words "Black Lives Matter." And I, I I can say that now in this room and all kinds of things go through our heads, right? But I want you to remove the organization. I want you to remove the political jargon that's been attached to it and just the words, just the words, because that's what I heard that day, Black Lives Matter. And there was a flood of emotions when we began around me to chant Black Lives Matter. 
I'm tearing up just thinking about it. Um, what went through my head was, I can't believe that people have to organize in a march and say that. Like, I can't believe that's what needs to be said. And it is. It is what needed to be said. But there was, um, there was an anger, and then there was a sadness, and then there was a despair, and then there was like just this flood of emotions that came through that day. And it was tempered with love because I began to think about all my friends who are black, my coworkers, uh, the people in my family who are black, the people who I would die for without hesitation who are black, and the fact that we needed to be in a march and say that uh, really broke my heart and caused some anger. So I say that not to, not to beat my chest and say, look what we did, but I say that to say, there are times that are called for that when anger can lead to action, but it should be tempered with that love. It should be tempered with kindness. It should be tempered with grace. And I think for a lot of people in that crowd that day, it was. So if, if we run across those times in our life that do call us to take action, to do it with that, with that temperament and um, to do it with grace and to do it with love and patience and long suffering. And for that example I gave, I can give you a thousand more <laughs> where I didn't do it with grace and love. Right? I can give you a thousand more where I made that quick stop by Lady Folly and I engaged with, with anger, without love. You see, I'm, I am, we must think that God's justice is insufficient when we do that. We see wrong done and we want to fix it. We want it fixed. We want to correct it. The wrongdoers need to be punished which means we don't trust God to judge rightly. We don't trust God to take our side. Or maybe we just don't trust God to judge at all. Maybe we don't think God's interested in what, what has happened to us. So we need to enact our personal sense of justice. We need to make ourselves the standard for justice. Right? And that happens a lot. And I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate reasons that we've been wronged and that we're angry. There are, and we could talk about them, and we could sit after church, and you could tell me the reasons you're angry, and I could tell you the reasons I'm angry, and, and we, could, we could commiserate together and have empathy for each other. There are things that have been done to us. Um, there's a quote uh, from Ray Ortland on anger. He says, we have our personal reasons for anger, too. I don't mean just fighting traffic or setting an argument, settling an argument between the kids. I mean horrible experiences with permanently life-altering repercussions. And we never just get over it. Who of us skates through this life without being betrayed, shamed, lied about, for starters? Some days it can be hard to get, to get out of bed and face the day. A low-grade fever of churning anger can leave us exhausted. Right? And that anger can build and build into wrath. Does it strike a chord? How many of us have walked around with that low-grade fever of churning anger at times? And it is exhausting. If you've walked into this building, this church building today, with a low-grade churning anger, this is a good place to bring it. This is where you should bring it. This is a good place to lay it down. There's good news, though, and I, I love that we have good news to share. I love that we have hope in our fight for joy, right? The good news, at first, it doesn't sound like justice, right? When we hear the story of, of the gospel, it's different than what our justice would be. But the cross is where God's perfect love 
perfect judgment, his perfect wrath all came into a cosmic intersection at the cross. There was one man, one God-man in all of history who did not deserve God's wrath, right? The rest of us do. He didn't deserve it. But he took it, right? He took it in our stead. He took the wrath that was owed us. And he didn't take some of that wrath. He took every single speck, every drop of wrath that's due us. He took it on himself. He provided us a way, right? But because God is just and because God, because God is holy and he, sin has to be punished, right? God couldn't just take our sin and just magically erase it, right? It had to be paid for and it was paid for through Christ. And even more beautiful than that, the righteousness, God's perfect life that, that Christ lived was granted to us. So he gets our wrath, he gets our sin, and we get his righteousness. We were enemies of God, and he's granted us his righteousness. That doesn't sound like my brand of justice, thank God, right? God has maintained justice the sin has been paid for. He's provided a way for us to be declared righteous. The sin that the penalty that we talked about in Genesis, the penalty was death. That penalty has been paid by Christ's own blood and he's declared us innocent. We're credited the righteousness, right? It's a reality of the justice of God. It's his long suffering, it's his patience, it's his grace, it's his mercy. And it really should blow us away every time we think about that. Every time we think about the gospel, every time we hear it, every ounce, every speck of God's wrath, right? Every hatred he has of sin was paid for by Christ. This is how we fight. This is how we fight for joy. This is how we fight for joy against the pattern of anger and wrath self-centered justice. We live in full view of the gospel, right? We come on Sunday and we gather and we hear it again. We come in community group and we remind each other. We get up in the morning and we preach the gospel to ourselves, to our own hearts, right? And we remember, we preach the gospel to our family, to our spouses, to our children. And we remember, right? And we have to do it because we forget. We forget so quickly. We forget in the situation that pride sneaks up on us and we're so quick to want to react, but we, we have to remember, I'm reminded of the parable of the forgiven debtor, Matthew eighteen twenty three. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is a lot. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience on me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant who had been forgiven went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not anywhere close to what he had just been forgiven. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
when his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? We must remember the debt that has been paid for us. It was a debt that we couldn't pay in a million lifetimes. Right? We could never work up what was owed. We could never work up that penalty of, of death. And so that must bring a graciousness in us to be willing to forgive when we have been wronged. Right? As we engage those around us, we will be wronged. As you go out in the world, it's going to happen. You will, you will be wronged. We must trust God that will handle it better than we ever could. We must remember what God's already given us. Right? He's already forgiven us a debt. We need to be gracious. We, we don't need to be as foolish as that debtor who was forgiven 10,000 lifetimes of debt and then went and grabbed somebody by the throat and said, you must pay me. Right? There's a, one more verse I want to share before we close and it really wraps up the whole series well. It's in Titus 3. It starts in verse 3. This helps us preach the gospel to us, to ourselves. It helps us um, remember where we were. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's our joy. That's how we fight for joy through all these sins. That's how we overcome the patterns of sins. We must keep our gaze on Christ, keep our gaze on, on what he's done for us. Pray with me. God, we thank you for these reminders in Scripture, Lord, of your unbelievable grace, that you've taken enemies and made them sons and daughters, Lord, that you provided rescue, Lord, that you know our hearts better than us, and you've adopted us. Lord, I pray as we Go out from here today, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would remind us, that you would help us remind each other, that you would bring community in Palm Bay and throughout the world, Lord, that brothers and sisters would be quick to point each other to the reason for our joy and the reason for our fight and the reason that you've already claimed victory, Lord, and, and that we get to be a part of that. Be with us today. Amen.